only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greetings, good evening. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Mike Thompson here as well. This is Beyond the Bricks. And if you are hearing my voice, it means it is the 8 o'clock hour in Indianapolis in the month of May. Mike, we've done a number of these shows now and talked about a number of different things. And one of the things that every once in a while, and I think that I speak for you in saying this, that I have to stop to remind myself is, like, this is pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's cool. uh, You know, I don't mean what we're doing is cool for other people. I mean, for you and I, I mean, people listening to this, I hope understand, and I hope that we've made it clear over the course of the the shows that we've done, that we're a couple of guys that, that when we were kids listened to and watched and then went out to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And the thought of being able to have the trust placed upon us to talk about the Indy 500 was beyond our wildest dreams, and now that we're here doing it, we're two guys that are well aware of how fortunate we are and how we are representing anybody listening to this show that certainly would be as capable of doing it. Oh, absolutely. That's that's how I feel about it. I mean, I feel extremely lucky to be uh, here with you. Um, you know, I, when well, I, now there's a lot of people that would take that as part of the job hazard. Well, of it, truth be told, right? Yeah, I mean, I I can see that. There's a, there's some truth in that, but uh-huh. but um, I, I no, I agree with you 100. percent I mean, there are so many people who would say, you know, it's not one of those rivalry things like, well, I know more than you. I mean, it's not really that. I mean, I just feel fortunate just to be able to sit here and talk about this, and and you know, I every day driving in here when we're getting ready to do the show i have to remind myself that i'm driving in to do a show that the time slot used to be held by donald davidson yep and that remind i remind myself and i center myself on that every day it's like this used to be donald davidson's time slot and so you better show up and have a good time doing this because there are exactly what you just said there's a lot of people who'd love to be doing this and so yeah it's to me this isn't a job this is just you know and i think uh you know in in reading one of the reviews of the show so far it's you know two guys bench racing talking about racing i mean how much i mean what's more fun than that you know that's that's what we're doing and we're having a good time doing it at least i know i'm having a good time doing it. now we are not i should say sitting here having a pint of beer while we're doing it but that would be um that's the feel that I want it to be, right, is yeah. that we're doing that. Now, if we were having a pint of beer doing this, then that would mean that it would be hard-pressed probably to find a pint of beer in a pub. I'm sounding very British. But to have a beer and talk racing, it would be hard to find a beer, certainly domestically, that at some point or another did not sponsor a car in the Indy 500. And so tonight I thought what better thing to do than to talk about some of the great names – of race cars over the years because in the early years i mean sure it was the marmon wasp but when jules goo won you know it was the peugeot in the early years it was primarily the manufacturer and then companies thought wait a minute we could start sponsoring these cars and then lo and behold our name will get in the headlines and thus sponsorship and racing which have gone hand in hand ever since question for you mike thompson is this 
if you had to pinpoint it from your readings and your studies and your talks with Donald and being around the museum and other such things, what era did we start to transition from car manufacturer to really jazzy name of combination marriage, car manufacturer and company that wants to be on board? Late in the 30s, there were certainly, uh, you know, started to become, you know, companies wanted to be involved and get their name attached. I mean, you started to definitely see that. And, uh, you know, then it just moved on from there. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't er- like you said the other day, it wasn't really every car. Not every car was lucky to have that. Um, you know, some people you know, didn't have it. They, they were naming the car after themselves and things like that. But I mean, it just, it was one of those transitional things. It was, it was just more and more, you know, the thing that was neat about it though, was in the early days, since the it w- didn't cost as much to be involved. I mean, you could get involved with the sport and not be, you know, Kroger or, I mean, name whatever conglomerate you want to name, massive conglomerate, Amazon or whatever. I mean, you didn't have to, you could be, you know, you know, one of the sponsors that we'll have later on in the show when we talk about Joe Saldana. I mean, you you don't have to be the biggest, you know, conglomerate to, to get involved in the sport, especially in the early days. I mean, you could be, you know, Joe's car lot or whatever it was, you know, so. And, you know, oftentimes it became a trick, right? You either, there were basically three ways that you could get your name out there. Obviously, you're sponsoring the winning car or you're sponsoring a car that, was completely new and unforeseen and people went oh my goodness what do we have here or you have a catchy name yeah and that's absolutely correct i think on all those accounts um you know you you want to be attached to a guy obviously who you know has a chance to win you're going to get more mentions that way but if you have a catchy name you're probably going to be or something memorable i mean like i say one of the cars that we're going to talk about i think in this show today i remember since i was you know nine years old and it didn't do that well in the race and it wasn't like you know it's not like it ran up front or anything like that but i remember it to this day and i will always remember this particular car and i've loved this car since i was nine years old. now give me the year of the race and i'm going to see if i can guess the car did you like the car because of the name of the car or i like the, the car, car because of the name of the car okay give me the year of the race so this would have been here. so this would have been in the 1978 race the 1978 oh wait a minute was that prior to here's a good trivia question for you i'm going to put you on the spot and i hate putting you on the spot with trivia questions but i'm going to do it anyway okay okay there was a driver that I'm assuming was in the 1978 race. Let me check. Uh, might not have been. Might not have been. No, it was not in the 78 race, but just prior to that driver. So before we get to your 78 race, I'm going to steal the spotlight here. There was a driver in the late 70s, early 80s, who had a sponsor that was a, a common name, I mean a common product, and I liked watching this guy in the race because I liked the product, and I was a kid, so that is a pretty big hint. So okay. it was clearly not Skull Bandits. Okay. <laughs> it even, might have. Well, it could have been. Even though I mean, when there. I was walking into the '83 race, they handed me samples of Skull Bandits, and I was ten. But um, there is a driver who drove in the late '70s, early '80s, and had a primary sponsor. I did not realize he was part of the family fortune of said company, and that driver set the record, which I believe, as a matter of fact, Simon Pagino finally surpassed the mark. Most runs in Indy 500 career without a DNF. Oh, most runs without a DNF. And I will read to you, for those that are listening right now and are thinking to themselves, no, wait a minute, I want to know you know, exactly, like, who's, he, who's Jake talking about? Who's he talking about? I'll let people kind of play along here. I will read you 
the finishing marks of this individual. And then, Mike Thompson, I will allow you to guess who I'm talking about, okay? okay. Uh, this individual ran, I believe it is in eight races. No, I take that back. He was in six races. He was a rookie, in fact, indeed, in 1979. When he finished seventh, he was running at the end of the race. He was running again when he finished 10th and 82, so oh, he had a couple years off. Okay, so I know who this is right 6th and 83, 13th and 84, 10th and 85, and 12th and 88. So if he was a rookie in 79, mm-hmm. it has to be Howdy Holmes. That is correct. And the reason I say that is because Howdy Holmes was the only rookie in 1979. Howdy Holmes, in fact. So because you liked Jiffy Mix. That is correct. Who doesn't like Jiffy and, Brownies, man? Well, Howdy Holmes' grandmother, I believe, invented Jiffy Mix. Correct. And he's the president of the Chelsea Milling Company still to this, to this day. day. right? Yeah. And he yeah. comes down. You know, what's interesting is, is, you know, obviously I'm not counting last year with whatever thing happened with, um, you know, with the, the virus and everything because nobody got to go to the race. But Howdy Holmes comes down to the track every year. And you can usually see him at Union Jack. Is he from Michigan? Yeah, he's from Chelsea. He's, yep. he, he lives in Chelsea, Michigan, where the Chelsea Milling Company, which makes Jiffy Mix, is. Nice guy? Yeah, great guy. Fabulous guy. Comes down every year. You can always see him at Union Jack. If you go to Union Jack, he's always there. Um, I've seen him there a couple different times. But he's always in Gasoline Alley. Great with the fans. Um, just a fabulous guy. Really, really friendly person. Typically will bring Jiffy Mix t-shirts with him. Love hands them out at Love Union it. Jack. Hands them out in Gasoline Alley. I mean, fabulous, fabulous guy. Now, I wonder if he, I'll bet he could make some mean brownies. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you got the Jiffy Mix. You can make anything, right? Not as good, not as mean probably as the Whittington brothers can, but he can make some mean brownies. Well, you know. That's right. Okay. 1978, your favorite car in the 1978 500. Is it because of the driver or what? for what reason? Nope. Nope. I said the car name. This is a, this is a show about car names. Okay. So, so this, this is a, a car name only. It situation. wasn't necessarily the look of the car. No, no. It had just, nothing to do. Well, it, later, I will tell you why I really liked it, and the look of the car does involve later. But no, this is the name of the car when I was a, when I was a kid. Wally Dollenbach. Nope, he was in the Sugar. Rock I've already named car. the. I've you know actually I've already named the driver minutes ago. So oh really? Yeah, I named the driver a few minutes ago, but Did, I didn't. Say and the I didn't car catch name. it. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking. Oh wait a minute! It can't be the wire radio, right? Nope, not wire radio. Nope, which is kind of cool. I would have gone with Wendy's Hamburgers, personally. Wendy's Hamburgers was good because that was Cliff Usel, and Cliff, Cliff Usel is from uh, Prince George, British Columbia, can, uh, Canadian guy, so I was behind him at that point as well. And, Do you know and the, Wendy's oh, is a good Ohio a company. Had to be Larry Rice in the Bryant Heating WIBC machine, uh, That right? was a good car, but not the car we're thinking of at this point. Okay, go ahead and tell me the driver. Actually, let's just hit it. Hit, hit me with Joe Saldana. The outside of the eighth row... Car 69, Joe Saldana, the Mr. Wise Buys Carpet Special. <laughs> okay, so I'm. Uh, let me explain this for a minute. Now, when I was a kid, there was a game called, it was Avalon Hill put out this game. It was a board game, and it was called USAC Racing, but you could play the Indianapolis 500 as a board game. It took about six hours to play 100 miles. I mean, it took. You might as well have spent the entire month playing this game. It was a great game, but it 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 was not one of those things that you. There was a speed version of the game. It took forever. But what you got was, you got an individual card, 
of every driver in the race. So when I was nine years old, I was given this game, and it came with the previous year's cards, right? So I get this entire set of cards, and on the back of the cards, on the front of the card, it had a picture of the driver, and on the back, it had their name and their sponsor. So I get this card, and it says, Mr. Wise... Now, what I found out later was I, I had an error card. Mine was a printing flaw. Really? My card says on the top line, Mr. Wise, and underneath it, it says, buys carpets. It was supposed to say Mr. Wise buys carpets all on one line. Right. Apparently, mine was printed incorrectly. So at nine-year-old nine -year -old me, I'm very inquisitive. I'm like, well, who's Mr. Wise? Why is he right. buying carpets? Right. I, I mean, I'm very, right. I'm very intrigued by this car now. So I wasn't old enough to go, as I told you the, you know, the other night on the show. My uncle Ron said I couldn't go till I was 12. So I insist that when he buys me the yearbook, you know, the Carl Hungness yearbook, it has to have a picture of this car in it. So he buys me the yearbook. I'm all excited. I open up to the picture of this car. It doesn't disappoint because it's this black, you know, car, car number 69. On the front of the car, there's this owl. And, you know, just randomly. So now I'm wondering, okay, is Mr. Wise the owl? Does <laughs> right. Mr. Mr. Why, Wise... Why does an owl need carpet? Right. Why, right. Is it, why is there an owl on the car? Is Mr. Wise the owl? Does he own an owl? I mean, and the best part about it is the owl's in the center of the car. So on one side, just like on back of my game card... It says Mr. Wise, and on the other side, it says buys carpet. So I still think that's what it's supposed to be. So from then on, you know, I, I later on when I finally got to come to the Speedway, I bought a picture of that car because I thought it was so quirky. And from then on, I always thought it was Mr. Wise on one side and buys carpets. I didn't realize it was an actual company. You know, then finally when I moved here, I'm driving down Lafayette Road. And there's a Mr. Wise Buys Carpet store, right. and there's the owl. And I was, like, all excited. I actually pulled over, and I'm like, there's that owl from when I was nine years now, old. Now, here's the thing. What if you were at a Mr. Wise Buys Carpet in the state of Nebraska? You would then have a two-for-two two when it comes to Joe Sadana. Do you know why? Um, no, why? His 1979 car in his second of two ventures to the Indy 500 in terms of starting the race itself was in the spirit of Nebraska machine. Oh, yeah, that's, that is correct. And actually, you know what? Joe Saldana also drove another one of my favorite cars, and but he didn't make the race with it. But he drove the Toledo Contractor Special, well, you had to like which that. I was really behind that car. But <laughs> he didn't make the race with that car. But I was—you can tell—that was one of my favorite cars because I wanted a Toledo car in the in the race, obviously. Now, so apparently, not enough people. Mister Wise might have bought carpet, but I guess not enough people did after '78 because they didn't come back. Right? Yeah, no, that was it. I mean, they were only on the car. That was a Hoffman car, I believe. And that was it. I mean, there were, to my knowledge, there was no other Mr. Wise buys carpet cars in the 500. So that, now, that is one of my favorite car names. And I don't know why. It's just one of those car names that just tickles me. And I just love it. And it's just silly. I don't know. I mean, I mean, from a paint job standpoint, I mean, the uh, Bobby Unser, the Arco Graphite Eagle that year was just beautiful. I mean, if you're looking at a car, what's the most beautiful car that year? It's probably that one. But I just love the Mr. Wise buys carpets car. What color to you sounds fast? I love, well, see, black is my favorite color, so any black cars to me are my favorite. I love black cars. Are you Johnny Cash? I am. I, see, well, here's the, first, here's the thing, Johnny Cash. First concert I ever saw, I was five years old. Johnny Cash, second cool. row, Toledo Sports Arena. Okay, see, I think of, when I think of fast colors or sleek colors, I think of silver. And it turns out, when it comes to race cars, that... Silver apparently also plays in. Let's listen to a race car that Roger McCluskey had, correct? Roger McCluskey, here we go. 
Row eight, number 15, Roger McCluskey. Tucson, Arizona, Silver Floss Sauerkraut Special, Rocket, and an Offie. I, I don't know about you, but after sauerkraut, I need some floss. That's right. <laughs> right? Silver Floss Sauerkraut. Now, Donald always tells that great story, and I'm sure people have heard on Talk of Gasoline Alley, where he, he uh, Lindsey Hopkins was actually offered Tony Tony Holman a big, he had a big vat of sauerkraut with him. And he's like, hey, Tony, you want some sauerkraut? You know, and t- he, Donald Donald tells the story way better than I could ever tell it. But. I'm not a fan of sauerkraut. Yeah, that, but I but am, it's, a, it's a great story. I am a fan of silver, and as a result of that, not unlike your Mr. Wise Buys Carpet, there was a silver car when I was a kid that I was also captivated by, which included making a sign in the window of my bedroom thinking that the driver would actually see it if he happened to be in Steinmeier Estates. We'll tell you what driver that is. Continue talking about fun car names when we return to Beyond the Bricks. Back here on Beyond the Bricks, Jake Query along with Mike Thompson talking about great car names over the history of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. A couple of years ago, I had somebody come up to me and say to me, oh, man, you'll never guess what happened. And I said, what? And they said, I was on a business trip in Phoenix, and they had an auto show adjacent to the hotel where I was staying. And I got up in the morning, and I was going out, and I was in the lobby getting my coffee, and they were bringing cars in. And there came the Johnny Lightning. I don't know if it was the original. but you know. And, and, and the person said to me, they said, I just started weeping because it meant so much to me to see a car from, you know, that. I think when you talk about Mike – Honestly, if you were to survey race fans of the Indy 500 and and the car that most captivated them, I, the Johnny Lightning is the one that I hear the most often. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if we were doing a show that was your favorite car as opposed to your favorite car name, I mean, I'd have the Johnny Lightning would be probably, for me, second behind the Lotus. Jim Clark's Lotus would be first for me, and then second would be Johnny Lightning. Absolutely. The Johnny Lightning special was... I mean, it was a cool-looking car, too, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, with the lightning bolts. And, I mean, just it, it, just an amazing thing. And what's funny is Al, when they pitched that to him, Al wasn't that excited about that. They pitched really? him. Yeah. they. Uh, he told me this in an interview. He said, you know, they told me Topper Toys was going to, uh, you know, and he was like, wait, we're going to be sponsored by a toy company? And, and he, he honestly, in the interview, said, he goes, I wasn't really that excited about it. He goes, then when I saw the, you know, the paint and everything, he said, yeah, this could work. And, it, you know, and it ended up obviously won twice in a row with the, with the Johnny Lightning special, but, but uh, you know, yeah, absolutely iconic. And there's so many, you know, we probably could do a whole nother show of things, you know, cars that we just love the the looks of. I mean, I love the Jorgensen Eagle, you know, Bobby answers Jorgensen Eagle, and there's so many cars that you could just say, I just love the the look of that car. Well, Al Unser drove the Johnny Lightning special, and then eventually, of course, his son Al Unser Jr. made his way to Indianapolis to run in the Indy 500, a rookie in 1983. And Al Unser Jr. drove at the time what I thought, and I, I don't know that I even realistically, because I was 10, 11, I would have been closing in on 11, 10 and a half years old. So I wasn't old enough necessarily to enjoy the product, but I love the name of Al Unser Jr.'s car. And the outside of the fifth row, car number seven, Al Unser Jr., the Coors Light Silver Bullet. Man, I didn't even know that Silver Bullet was the name of a beer. I thought it just meant the car itself. And I remember making a sign in my bedroom window the weekend of the race saying, like, go little Al, the Coors Light Silver Bullet. It just was such a cool name. Yeah, it was a great car. And now I want to point out that 
when I was picking out the sound clips for this show, that car that we just heard was from 84. And of course, I picked the one that was the black car with the silver accents, right. you know, because I wanted the black car. Now, I will point out. <laughs> you had to throw your black in yeah, there. Yeah, right? I had to put the black cars in there, you know. When I was uh, when I was 14 at uh, Washington uh, Junior High in Toledo, um, I that was my favorite car, the Coors Light Silver Bullet, the Al Junior car, the the black and silver one. So Al Junior had a little a mailer that he would you, he would send out a little mailer, and you could buy directly from from um, him. And I guess it, it came from New Mexico, so that's where I assume it came from. It came from Al Junior. You could buy souvenirs from him and so i bought a long sleeve t-shirt that said silver bullet down each you know each arm and it had the picture of the car on it and i bought a golf shirt that had the this coors light silver bullet on it and i bought all these really cool shirts right the problem was i made a mistake wearing that to washington junior high school one day <laughs> I was gonna say, and so uh-huh. i got pulled into the dean's office one day and they said you can't wear that to school i'm like and i don't like I didn't even put two and two together on it. Of course, I was pretty naive apparently about it. And I said, "Well, what's the problem?" They're like, "You can't wear shirts that have beer advertising on it." And I said, "Oh, okay. I'm I'm like I'm wearing it because I like the car and Talenter Junior. I don't really. I mean, like I didn't. I mean, I'm not like a drinker. Anyone who knows me, I think I've had like eight beers in my entire life. You know, so I didn't care about the beer aspect of it. But I was told in no uncertain terms that I needed to wear a jacket the rest of the day and not to wear that shirt again. Well, it's like me with Teo Fabi with the skill bandits and they you know, I thought it was bubblegum and my dad says, What do you what do you do? What do you and I was about to chew on him <laughs> and then in the Southeast Vista, right? And at that time I was more preoccupied. I don't know if it was that year. I think it was two years later, you know, I was more interested in Pancho Carter driving a car named for Hardy's, right? I mean, I wanted a burger. And That's right. A Skull Bandit. But nonetheless, you might enjoy a Coors Light if you're vacationing, I would think, in Vegas. But you're telling me it might have been in Evansville at a hotel that I was, actually became... I think I was kidding about Evansville. What's that? I think I was kidding. I, oh, about you were kidding? It. No, I mean, there is a hotel Tropicana well, in Evansville. But, but how I, do we know that's not it? It could, it could be, I guess. But I'm, I, talking about I'm assuming one, it's in Vegas. The hotel that sponsored Jim Herdebees. Number 56, Jim Herdebees, North Tonawanda, New York, the Hotel Tropicana special. It's got to be Vegas, though, right? I would think so. Yeah, I would but think. wouldn't they say Tropicana Casino? Yeah, they probably would. But, I, I mean, I, I don't know, honestly. I, I honestly don't know if it was uh, – I really don't. I honestly don't know whether if it was a uh, Vegas hotel or not. Now, here's the thing. When I think of Tropicana, I don't think of – Vegas Casino. You think of the juice. Or Evansville Hotel. But I think rather of Emerson Fittipaldi and how thrilled he would have been, right? Because I think of orange juice. And now, there, was a, there was a juice sponsor for a while as well. And that was, if I'm not mistaken, you tell me. Bobby Unser. Right. I said it. you tell me, but I'll hit. tell you. It's Bobby Unser. Back to our lineup. The 10th row, number 11, Bobby Unser, Albuquerque, New Mexico, a turbocharged offie. The Vita Fresh Orange Juice Special. <laughs> Everything was a special. That's right. right. Well, that was the best part about that era is every car was a special. Yeah. I wish I wish today every car was a special. I mean, I wish we still – I mean, we, we had that into the 80s. Remember, Rick Mears drove the Z7 special and things like that and the Miller American special right. with, Dan, you know, Danny Sullivan. I wish every car still was a special. But, yeah, I love the Vita Fresh Orange Juice Special. The Miller American special that Danny Sullivan drove, and that's the spin-to-win car. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, I think we have the intro 1985 for Danny Sullivan. I mean, you're basically just going to hear them saying exactly what we just said, but let's listen to it anyway. 
the center of the third row. Danny Sullivan in car number five, the Miller American Special. That car to me, Mike, was so cool. I, I, I think, man, I'll tell you, of all, and there have been some cool ones. I, I loved Jacques Villeneuve's car. Oh, yeah. Uh, that That is one of my favorite players. cars. Yeah. But the paint scheme and just the name of Miller American for Danny Sullivan was awesome. And Danny Sullivan had a couple really sharp Miller cars because people sometimes sleep on that gold. Remember that gold Miller car he had that he almost won with? And was that Miller High Life? Because I know Bobby Rahal was Miller Genuine Draft, Mm -hmm. right? So Miller High Life was Danny Sullivan, right? Yeah, it was that really pretty gold car, and that was that was a really really nice car. And, and here's a really dumb question: so that red car, the spin to win, the red with the white star coming across it. I mean, it was such a cool looking car. And when you say Miller American, and I'm going to show my naivete, and I realize that you are with me in the fact that neither of us would be considered like an '80s beer connoisseur, okay? But you have Miller High Life, you have Miller Light, you have. Miller Genuine Draft that was, was their, American avert. No, that was their uh, that was their spots at the time. Remember, it was Miller's made the American way. That's right. And born, born in and born and made in the USA. USA. Yeah. You know, so they branded everything Miller's like that. Made and, the American way. Yep, yeah. So that's the reason why it was the Miller American special. And so Bobby Allison's car uh, in NASCAR was painted the same. Remember, they had the star coming on the side of the car there. But, yeah, that's the reason it's the Miller American Special was because all of Miller's branding at the time was Miller's Made the American Way, so it's the Miller American Special. Now, if you were going to make a mixed drink with – so you got your Miller American, but let's say that you're at Hotel Tropicana and – then you, you have say, your bite of fresh orange juice with you? And you? That's right, and you have your orange juice with you. You might be making a cocktail, but if you ask for a cocktail in certain places, they might think you're talking about shrimp, and then you might be talking about another car, right? Right, you're going to talk about John Martin's car, for sure. Eighth row, car number 89, John Martin, Long Beach, California. The Sea Snack Shrimp Cocktail Special, a McLaren and Offie. Hold on. <laughs> so, so, the Sea Snack... The sea snack would be shrimp, not like the shrimp cocktail. I think of the sauce. Maybe that's because I'm from Indy, right? Yep, the sea snack shrimp cocktail special. And John Martin, who we lost a couple years ago, he was a fabulous guy. He was a a friend of mine. We actually shared our birthday was the same day, not the same year, but the same day. And I loved John Martin. Just a great, great salt-of-the-earth guy. Um, Just, I mean, just a fabulous, fabulous human being. Um, you know, I mean, I, I really miss John Martin. He was just, you know, he was just one of those guys that, you know, when I got to know him, he was another guy that, you know, when you're a kid, you know, when I was a kid, my goal was, I I was hoping to meet and, you know, a Indianapolis 500 driver. And then I've gotten to be friends with a few of them. And it's just, it's just really something I don't take for granted, you know, because, it's just really special to me and john martin's just one of those guys because he you know he could tell you some just amazing amazing stories and uh you know he's he's really sadly missed but i always told him i said i you know i just love the sea snack shrimp cocktail special back in those days if you were broadcasting the race was it imperative upon you as much as possible i guess to name the car in that way there's no way i could have let that just roll off the tongue oh yeah yeah, no, that, that would probably be tripping you up a little bit, I would think. I mean, the Fuzzy's Ultra Premium Vodka Machine, I remember saying that several times during the course of a race. Mm-hmm. You know, 
target Chip Ganassi for Scott Dixon, and then before that for Juan Montoya. You know those things. But it's so, but it's so critical, right? It's such a critical aspect. No I mean, doubt about it. You know, I mean these these guys, you know. They need that sponsorship, and they need those, you know, especially like a low budget team. You know, one of the you know, one of the teams that, you know, a, you know, a Hooncoast Racing when they when they got in with Kyle Kaiser, and you know, they get a sponsor at the last minute or something, and you know, they need those mentions and things like that. So, I mean, they they're relying on you guys obviously to mention those sponsors as much as possible, and you obviously. try to do so. Oh yeah, right? and of I course mean, you, you do. You yeah. try to do so with, without making it you know overtly into a commercial. But you guys do a really good job. I would doing agree that. with that. There's a there's a balance there, and I'm not yeah. saying that I do it well, but. You, you try your hardest now sponsorship does work though and the names of the cars does pay off and i can tell you when i worked at channel six in indianapolis a number of years ago producer that i worked with great dude jay Bowsback, jay suma as we call him we were both equally like obsessed with a sponsor that sponsored a driver from japan for a product that i always assumed was only in japan and then I was on the West Coast, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This product actually exists in the United States. And is popular in the United States. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I think we can hit it if you want to do it right now. Hit me with, hit five, me with Shinji Nakano. Race rookie from Japan, driving the 50, number 54, Beard Papa's Beck Motorsports Honda Power Delara, <laughs> Shinji Nakano. The Beard Papa's piping Hot Cream Puffs. That is one of the greatest cars that has been in, in the 500 in recent years. The I Beard like, Papa's machine. I, I remember like, wait a minute, what is a, what is a popping Hot? I think it said on the car, piping Hot Cream Puffs. So when I worked at Wish TV with Chris Widlick, um, on my desk, I had a picture of that car. And Chris went went on. Now we tr- didn't even plan this. You had that audio poll without no, even I had knowing a, that. No, I was that was a surprise. No, no, that was a surprise. I was hoping to surprise you with with the Beard Papa's machine. Chris Widlick and I, when we worked together at Wish, I had a picture of the Beard Papa's uh, ride on my on my desk because I liked it so much. Chris went on a trip, and he went to a Beard Papa's, and he brought me back the Beard Papa bobblehead because he knows how much I like Beard Papa, and. I know my friend Brian Holtgrave is listening right now. Brian calls me Beard Papa. That He does not refer to me as Mike. When he calls me on the phone, he calls. The first thing he says is Beard Papa. He does not, Beautiful. Yeah, he does not refer to me as Mike. He'll say Beard Papa. So Started in Japan. It, it, it kind of looks like the... Who's the fisherman fella? He looks a little bit like the, a combination of Ernest Hemingway and the Gortons fisherman. <laughs> he does. He's got a little. Well, he's, he's got, pipe. Yeah, he's pipe and hot, so he's got his, little, he's his right. little pipe. He's, he's he's ready to roll. And it began the cream puffs in Japan, and I think now they're all over the world, right? Yeah, oh, they're yeah, basically no. just a little. How would you describe it? Like a um, yeah, just a natural like cream puff deal. I yeah. mean, yeah. But no, I I I actually this afternoon when I was working on some clips i thought you know what i'm gonna sneak in the beard papa ride i can't believe you stole my thunder on that i was so hoping to surprise no you. no no i'm ahead of the game on beard papa all right fair enough by the way we'll put a bow tie on it and maybe like a little, little beard papa hat because he had a little hat too i believe when we come back you're listening to beyond the bricks i feel like we should 
Where is the closest Beard Papa's Pipe and Hot? I, I think there's a Beard Papa in Chicago. Or at least there might have. I think there was at one time a Beard Papa. By the way, we're we going to bump back with Delta Force every segment, or are we going to mix Menudo in at some point? Oh, that is the best. We got to mix. Hold some on. night, we got to mix Menudo in okay. some night. I'm just now, telling on. you. We're on a tangent here because let me tell you something. Menudo, for those unfamiliar, in 1983, and we'll save the audio, I guess, to surprise people sometime, but I think it was 82 or 83, Menudo, who was, of course, the popular boy band out of Mexico. And I remember them, Mike, having uh, a segment on Saturday morning cartoons called Menudo on ABC. They came to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and did a music video where he's driving a Camaro, which makes no sense, right? And at one point, they're dancing. The song is about the Indianapolis 500. It's called Indianapolis. It is. And it has, the video itself has footage from, I think it's the 83 race. Um, And the lyrics make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Well, they're, of course, they're in Spanish. No, there's an English version as well. Is there really? Absolutely. I just know the chorus is Indianapolis. But there is a 100% there's an English version as well. At one point, they are dancing but not in sync. I mean, literally, it's like they took these guys out to the bricks and went, okay, everybody, just do your own dance for like two and a half minutes. It is the most uncomfortably awkward, horrific thing ever. And I don't remember. What's weird is I grew up, for those that are unfamiliar, Mike, you grew up in Ohio, right? Right, that's correct. And I grew up here in Indianapolis, which I think shows the, the appeal of the 500 and the fact that we grew up in basically the same era. And you were, through the magic of radio and television, I mean, you were captivated by the 500. I loved the 500 because it, in, those, in that era in particular, and I think a lot of people forget this, but, you know, before the Colts moved here from Baltimore, and before the Pacers broke through as the NBA Pacers, and I know they were a, a, a tremendous ABA success and were massively popular, but they they transitioned to the NBA, of course, and for the first literally 10 years that they were in the NBA, it was a struggle. The brown curtain days at Market Square Arena. So the Indy 500 was the showcase for the city. And in talking about these different sponsors and cars, that shows you that nationally and internationally, people wanted to be a part of the Indy 500. So to me as a kid, I tried to soak in. I couldn't believe that my hometown was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and was being talked about on Casey Kasem and other such things. So I'm amazed that I don't recall from that time when Menudo did that, do you remember them actually doing it, or is it only in the matter, you know, the the beauty of YouTube that you now know? About? No, no, I actually at the time about well, actually about two years after it happened, my uncle Ron found out about it, and and he every year after that, when we would come down to Indianapolis, he would play it several times on the trip. And so it became basically a thing. And we ended up finding a vinyl copy of it. We had we first found the Spanish version, and I didn't know there was an English version until a few years after that. And then I found the English version on vinyl as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was actually a part of our trips after that, the fact that there was the the infamous Menudo album. Okay, let me ask a really dumb question. Could it have been some sort of a thing like piggybacking off of the popularity, say, of Jose Garza? It may have been. Yeah, I mean, I think... 
I think I remember one of the members of the group was really interested in racing at the time, if I recall correctly, and and kind of like pushed, hey, we should do something like this. I, I that just sticks in my mind for some reason. I I can't say that I have the entire history of Menudo's Indianapolis in my head, but uh, if I recall correctly, I think somebody involved in the group was really interested in in racing at the time. In 1983, by the way, Jose Lee Garza was driving in the Machinist Union Silhouette Special. Everything's yeah. a special this year. That's right. <laughs> Everything's a special. Um, if you had to say, Mike, what car would you say has the greatest disparity between its level of fame because of the its name and look and and whatever and its actual contribution in terms of its racing performance oh well we already did it the novi for sure i mean the novis are beloved because of the sound and the you know the thunder but i mean they didn't they didn't really do anything. I mean, they, you know, I mean, they didn't, they didn't lead a lot of laps. Um, you know, I, I think that from a reputational standpoint, people love them and people were interested in them and they're still to this day, they're beloved, uh, which is, which is fabulous or a fabulous part of the history of the speedway. But I mean, they didn't, they didn't really have any success of any kind. Yeah. I, you know, the, the names themselves in drivers too. I mean, you know, there's a, Drivers that had colorful, that were colorful characters themselves, oftentimes, you know, they get, and even in today's era of 500 drivers, you have some drivers that because they are great personalities, become thought of by the fan base as, you know, man, I really hope this is their year. And deep down, you're going, "Ah, yeah, I don't know. It may not happen. Right. Right. (laughs) And, And that, that's always been true. That's always been true. Yeah. It's no, always I, been a part of it. No, racing. that's always that's that yeah, that's absolutely part of it. Yeah, I mean and and the Novi's had guys that were kind of hard luck guys. I mean, Herdebees comes to mind because Herdebees was a hard luck story. I mean, he was obviously extremely talented, got severely injured at in Milwaukee, you know, persevered to come back but but wasn't able to come back at the completely at the same level as he as he was before his accident. But still, I mean, a, a great driver, but if you think about Herdebees, I mean, he he really he's one of those guys that he led the race twice. Uh, once in 1961, he led uh, I think it was 35 laps, and then he led. We just mentioned the Hotel Tropicana uh, Nova. He was on the front row. He led one lap, and that was the last lap he ever led in the 500. And that was 1963. Um, so Herdebees is one of those reputational guys that you know had a big reputation and and people really was hoping this will be the year this will be the year for jim herdebees and and really um never was at the front again after 1960 i mean he led one lap in 63 and never led another lap in his career in terms of car names and people associating sponsors to the car i feel like it kind of started to, to wane away from that when you had basically a spec series and so you didn't have you know the i think that sponsors wanted to attach themselves there was always so much speculation and interest in what a car would do when guys i always say came out of the lab right they'd been in the lab for 10 months putting together or a garage putting together a car and indianapolis was going to be the showcase to see what that car could do and so companies wanted to get on board because 
oh gosh, if this is the one that breaks a barrier or this is the one that, you know, we want to be on on top of that. And once, I, I think there was a bigger challenge in getting companies on board with that once it came that everybody was driving one of two or three engines and all the same chassis, right? Yeah, I think there's probably some truth in that. Um, I think it's a, it could, you know, I think that you could make a case that that's a little bit of a harder sell. Um, I think that's also part of where the sport is today, right? I mean, it's not, unfortunately, we haven't been able to get back into the national, you know, collective conscious where we were before 1995. So, you know. And part of that is, Mike, I've always felt like, a big challenge for auto racing in the Indianapolis 500 in general, or for any sport, any sport aside from the NFL, which has done a, but even the NFL, you know, when, when we were kids, the NFL was Sunday night or uh, excuse me, Sundays and Monday night. And that was it. Now the NFL is, is so omnipresent that, I do think that there are people that started to get an NFL fatigue there, and it's oh, kind of it's me, it's bit. me. I'm a Packers fan. I love the Packers, but I'll be honest with you: the the day the season ends, you know, I'm one of those guys. That I think I've told you this before. When my team is out, like as soon as my team, I lost, we lost the NFC Championship game. I don't watch the Super Bowl. Right? Okay, I'm done with my team because that's I care about the Packers. I don't care about the NFL. Like you know, I I might watch my fantasy football players, you know, during the season because my team's still playing at that point, right? But I don't care about the Chargers playing the Chiefs on Sunday night football unless I I mean there's I don't have any rooting interest in that game. I have massive NFL fatigue at the yeah. end of the season. Massive. Well, I don't care about the mock drafts. I don't care about any of this stuff. I, I, I want you guys to totally agree. go away so I can miss you totally and then agree. come back in August or September, you know? Well, but, the so the my point, and that's why it's – so I think the NFL is the last of, of the sports that might be going – that may suffer this because I'm in agreement with you, but clearly it's still the 800-pound gorilla. But a lot of sports, the challenge – in maintaining in that conscious is the fact that now there are a billion channels. If you're a fan of table tennis, there's a table tennis network you can watch. And it used to be that the Indianapolis 500, it was, I've always said, when you were in elementary school at lunchtime, you got the little tray and you had to eat what they gave you. You got to middle school and now all of a sudden it's you get to choose, right? The sports consumption in this country in the 70s and up through the 80s to a great extent was elementary school lunch. And you had to to consume what the network told you was important. Now, people, everything, they have a million choices. Absolutely. I mean, it's so much of a different world, especially in the way you can get you know i mean i had to be at the track in 1982 to know what was going on now if i if i'm out at the at the mall or whatever at the kroger or whatever i can watch on my phone it's kroger's you know that right yeah kroger's or myers (laughs) that's right well i'll tell you what um kroger's would love to have the kroger's special if they were going to sponsor a car well they did Um, they did with sarah fisher that's right Hmm. um the box lunch is back in the. I love 60s. the box lunch. They were, they were the deal, man. 1982 box lunch, man. That that. Let's go back to that. I'll tell you what. Today's show was special, right? It was special. Let's, let's na- we'll name it the Today Show special. That's right. It's special spending an hour with you folks, and we appreciate it so much so that we will do it again tomorrow at 8 p.m. on Beyond the Bricks.